Open with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. I'm going to read part of the story to begin with, and then I think I'll get to the rest of the story later. I am about to read what to me is just a strange story. And as I read it, I wish I could look up, maybe I can, and see some of your facial expressions as I read this. This is one of those stories that you shake your head and go, that is unbelievable. It's just crazy. Are you there? Judges 17, verse 1. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. If I stole money from my mom, <laughs> oh, she wouldn't be saying the Lord bless you, my son. Now, her son is a grown man here <clears throat> because he's evidently married and has children of his own. Let's read further. I, I literally have written in my, the margin of my Bible next to that sentence, I have written a note. You want to know what it is? Wow. Literally. When, when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw your facial expressions. I will give it back to you. So, he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol. And they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as the priest. Talk about making up your own religion. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Verse 7, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. He said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. And then Micah <clears throat> installed the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, 
Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. And again, I have a note written in the margin there, and you want to know what it is? Wow. Wow. That a man can sin so flagrantly and yet say, God is going to bless me so much. And I want to, I want to talk to you on the subject today, the compromise of the house of Micah. The compromise of the house of Micah. Would you bow your heads and let me pray over this? <clears throat> Father, I thank you this morning that we can gather in your house and look into your word and we can be changed by what we read and what we see as your Holy Spirit illuminates your word to us. I pray, God, that you will humble our hearts before you. Let us not have the heart of this man. I pray that you will put your thoughts in my mind and may your words be on my lips and open our ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church. And I pray that when we leave this place, we will have been changed by your word and by your spirit. Make us more like Christ, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. And everybody said amen. A few weeks ago, I mentioned to our church that I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to share with our church a message that he had burdened on my heart. And I told you at the time that it was a message about the home, the church, and the nation. How many of you remember that? Anybody? And at the time, I had thought perhaps I would share this during our Wednesday night Bible studies, maybe spending a week on each of those subjects instead of doing it in our Sunday morning services. But in fact, some of you had mentioned at the time, Pastor, be sure and let me know when that is because I want to take off work to be there on those Wednesdays. And I I was impressed by your devotion. I'm, I'm very grateful for your devotion to, to be willing to do that. But some things have happened over the past several days in this nation and in my own life that, if I can say it this way, I feel a release in my spirit to share with you this message today in one Sunday service instead of our Wednesday night Bible studies. It's not usual that the Lord will impress a message on my heart and then say, now wait about giving it. But I just didn't feel that it was quite the right time. And as this Sunday approached, I just felt impressed upon by the Spirit of God to th that there's not a better time. In fact, this is the weekend that we celebrate our independence. This is the weekend of the 4th of July. And so what better time 
for us to talk about the home, the church, and the nation. And, you know, with some recent decisions handed down by our Supreme Court, I've had some friends, several friends, some people that I know who have questions about things. And some of them have asked me questions about things, things like prayer in schools. And that's something that was common when I was growing up. In fact, back in the day before we had all the school shootings, we had the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall. We didn't shoot anybody because we saw that one of those commandments said, you shall not murder. And we had prayer in schools. And I don't, I don't mean private schools, I mean public schools. And I don't mean a moment of silence. I mean, we prayed out loud in the name of Jesus. And to be honest, oftentimes the prayer was over the intercom going out through the whole school. And it went side by side with our pledge of allegiance to the flag and to one nation for which it stands under God indivisible. And in recent days, you know, I, as some of my younger friends have said, you know, what do you think about this? I scratch my head and go, I'm used to that. But I'm realizing that maybe they're not. I have some younger friends who now have questions about what seems strange to them because they grew up without prayer in school and without Bible reading in school. And some of them even grew up with teachers or students who refused to even pledge allegiance to the flag of this nation under God. And maybe that's why we're finding it so hard to be indivisible these days. And I've even had friends recently who, they, they, they're Christian, they identify as Christian, but they're angry over some of the decisions handed down by the court. Have you noticed the anger? Have you noticed the anger and the rage in this world in these last days? And yet, also have you noticed the division of the church world over some of the recent events. And so some of my friends have had questions. So I felt a release in my spirit to speak to you this message. Now, I, I read to you what is really a bizarre story in the Bible. Every time I read this story, in fact, I just shake my head at how crazy it is. And it's just hard for me to wrap my head around it, as we say, that this man, and not just one person, but his entire home, his family, his mother, and presumably his wife and children, can speak <clears throat> of the God of Israel while flagrantly practicing idolatry in their home. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but they use the covenant name of God where Lord is in all capital letters in our English translations 
indicating that in the Hebrew it is Yahweh. Or some people prefer Jehovah. But it is the covenant name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true living God who made covenant with his people. And they talk about him as if they are serving him. And as if he is blessing them. While they just flagrantly practice idolatry in his name. And it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around the audaciousness of what this man is doing while claiming to serve God. And so I, I want to talk to you about the compromise of the house of Micah and the three things that I want to deal with in this message are these. And I want to give them to you up front because I'm, I'm hoping it will help me to convey to you what God has impressed upon my heart. Sometimes between my heart and your ears, I don't know if I do a good job of, of getting that across, but I, I'm praying that I do. So as I talk about the compromise of the house of Micah, first I want to talk about the home. Because really what we hear him saying and see his family doing is not too un unlike what we see today of people who just live life and make up their own rules about what's right and wrong. And then they say, I'm serving God and God's blessing me. So I want to talk about the home and the compromise in this home and this family. Then I want to talk about the church and specifically I want to address the compromise in ministry that we see in this story with this Levite because he represents the spiritual leadership of the day. And then the third thing I want to cover and I'm going to get there is chapter 18. I didn't read it because it's longer. But in chapter 18, the tribe of Dan comes along and we see a connection to the house of Micah. And there I want to talk about the nation as a whole as we look at the tribe of Dan and the compromise of this entire tribe of God's people. My prayer is that God will help me to apply this to us, to our home, our church, the ministry of the church and to our nation. Are you with me? So let's start with the home. I want to talk about the home. And this is the message that I felt the Lord had laid on my heart a few weeks ago. When I was teaching at the university, I used to lecture on the subject of institutions of social control. And by that, we're talking about those institutions in our society that use subtle and sometimes not so subtle means to maintain social orderliness and, and social decency. So institutions of social control help individuals behave appropriately. In fact, we could say that institutions of social control help keep civilization civilized. 
So these institutions of social control would include things like our criminal justice system. In fact, that's the one that kicks in when all other institutions of social control have failed. It would include things like our schools and education systems. Those are institutions of social control. Even our religious institutions are institutions of social control. And when I, when I lectured on this, I would often ask my students if they could tell me what was the first, the very first, in terms of order and significance, what was the very first institution of social control in your life and in the history of the human race? And every now and then, somebody would get it right. It is the family. See, that was the first institution of social control in my life. And it was the preeminent institution of social control in my life. Even if the criminal justice system said it's okay to do this, the family was the one who would say, no, it's not. Not in this home. Not as long as you sit at my table and eat my food. As long as I'm buying your clothes. Anybody grow up in an institution of social control like that? <laughs> but in terms of both time and significance or importance, it is the family that's the first institution of social control. And it was God who instituted that. You see, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to have children, the sovereign God of all creation not only created the first institution of social control, he even instituted, listen to me, the very foundation upon which all of humanity and on which all other social institutions would be built. The family, as, as God ordained it to be, a marriage between one man and one woman and their children, amen, was to be the very building block with which all of society would be built and upon which any society will stand. So the family is the very foundation of our culture and of our society. It is the foundation of our schools. It is the foundation of our government. I've never talked to a school teacher that, didn't, that disagreed with what I'm about to say. Uh, we can more effectively educate your child if you, parent, are behind us and help us because I have your child this many hours in the day, you have them the rest of the time. So the, the family is, is what builds our schools, it's the foundation of our government, it's the foundation of our economy, it's, the it's even the foundation of our churches. I remember when I was starting in the ministry, my senior pastor, would all, he would always say, if you want strong churches, you need strong families. Now, it is important to understand <clears throat> that when the foundation of anything is destroyed, 
whatever is built on top of that foundation will crumble. I said, when the foundation of anything is destroyed, whatever's built on top of that foundation will crumble. The psalmist David said it like this, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, if, if we, the righteous, lose our foundation, what hope do we have? What, what can we do? The foundation is that upon which all else stands or falls. And that, my friends, is the importance of family as God intended it to be in this world in which we live. Let me show you what I mean. Here in Judges chapter 17, we read of a man named Micah and his family. And in all the Bible, this must be one of the most messed up and confused families of all of them. I don't know if I can even think of another family in the Bible that's more spiritually and morally confused than those living in the house of Micah. And it's all because Micah and his family didn't live a life of submission to the word of God. This was, this was a home where the authority of scripture wasn't even recognized. And when a family doesn't submit to the authority of God's word, that, that home will soon become a place of moral and spiritual confusion. Y'all help me preach this. Let, let me show you what I'm talking about. It, it was a home of an extended family, which was common in those days. It was Micah and his mother, we'll call her grandma or grandmother. And presumably his wife is there and their children. And they all lived in the same home. This was a, a family from among the people of God. They knew the God of Israel. They even used his covenant name, as I said, as if they were living within that covenant that God had made with them. And as I tell this story, I want you to, in fact, see how many sins you can count. I tried to count them. And you can use your fingers if you need to. And some of you might even want to kick your shoes off. So in this home, someone stole 1,100 shekels of silver from the grandmother. If you're counting, you might want to hold up a finger. Stealing is a sin according to the word of God that is authoritative. So you should have at least one finger up. And, and by the way, if you're really sharp on scripture, you could even have two up. Because another one of those commandments is that we honor our father and mother. She pronounced a curse on the thief. You might want to put a finger up. And it was not out of conviction, but it was out of fear of that curse <clears throat> that her son Micah said, oh, I have that silver. I, I'm the one who took it. <laughs> He hears his mom cursing the person who took this. He says, oh, I've got it. I was just holding it onto it for you. Just. And then Micah's mother 
seems to think she can just reverse the curse by blessing her son and invoking the very name of Yahweh. You might want to put another finger up. because She is using the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> the Lord bless you, my son. Since when does God bless a thief? <laughs> it gets worse. She then consecrated that silver to the Lord for her son to make a carved image and a cast idol for him to put in his shrine in his house. It almost makes my head spin. If I was pastoring this family, it's like, I don't know where to begin to untangle the knot you people have tied. Micah had even consecrated one of his sons to be the priest of his shrine. And keep in mind that God had declared in Deuteronomy that there, there was to be only one place of worship in Israel and a little shrine in Micah's house was not that place. God's people were not permitted to have private shrines in their home and neither were they supposed to ordain their own son to be their own private priest. In fact, God appointed only the family of Aaron to be priests in Israel and anyone outside of Aaron's family who would presume to be priests were to be put to death according to the book of Numbers. So without even leaving home, this family has managed to break, if I counted correctly, seven of the Ten Commandments. The first 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 8th, ninth, and 10th commandments. And it was not just one member of the family, but it was Micah, his mother, his son, and presumably his wife who would have been privy to all of this. And his mother, who says, the Lord bless you, my son, encourages her son to maintain his little shrine and to continue his idolatry by giving some silver she consecrated to the Lord to make an image and a cast idol, all while invoking the covenant name of the Lord. In fact, in verse 13, after this Levite showed up at his house, Micah said this incredible statement. Once this Levite, and I'm going to get to the Levite, he's not even supposed to be there. And Micah says, well, now I know that the Lord will be good to me. And I'm like, wow, while they're breaking at least seven of the Ten Commandments, they think God will bless them. Now, is that any different than where we are in our families in this day and time in which we live? And as crazy as this may seem, it is not very unlike many of our homes. Families that are not submitted to the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's Word. They don't even seem to seek God's ways. They make up their own theology based on whatever I think is right, whatever I think things should be. And that's why any time somebody comes and asks me, Pastor, do you think this is wrong? I always go, well, let's see what the Bible says because it doesn't matter what I think. There's a soul-damning belief in a lot of families these days that a lot of people have embraced 
that I can create my own theology, my own beliefs about God and life and sin and righteousness and morality based on what I think it should be or the way I think God should be and that God will just accept me and bless me based on my way of thinking and my rules and my views. And a lot of people live their lives thumbing their nose at the authority of Scripture, and yet we think we are right with God. But we cannot create a God in our own image. We cannot put God in our box of beliefs and decide for Him what is appropriate and then bask in the blessings that we feel we deserve. When we do that, we might as well be building a shrine and worshiping false gods while invoking the name of Jehovah. Amen. It's time that we stop compromising in our homes. It's time that we put the authority of Scripture back in our homes. It's time that families learn the ways of God again and stop letting the ways and philosophies of this world tell us what is right and wrong and define for us what is acceptable or not. It's time that we be families as God intended for us to be and that we live by the ways of God again. And then and only then will we once again see the, the true blessings of God poured out in our homes and in our families. Whew, that was scathing. So let's talk about the church. And I know the church didn't exist back then, but the Levites did. And they were the part of the spiritual leadership of the day. And so in this part of the message, I'm talking about the compromise in ministry that we see in so many ministries, if I can put that in air quotes, and so many, quote, churches, unquote. Now, in Judges 17, verse 7, along came this young Levi. And by the way, we believe his name is Jonathan because it seems that he's identified in chapter 18, verse 30. So I may call him Jonathan just so we have a name. And there are some things that stand out to me right away about this Levite that will help us to understand the spiritual condition of God's people at the time. First of all, he came from the town of Bethlehem in Judah. But Levites, Levites weren't from the tribe of Judah. And Bethlehem of Judah was not one of the cities that God had given the priests and Levites when Joshua parceled out the land. So right away, something's wrong. Levites were from the tribe of Judah, and in the Old Testament, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Did you catch that? So the priests came from the family of Aaron, who came from the tribe of Levi, but there were other families in the tribe of Levi that were Levites but not priests. Only Aaron's family were priests. So the fact that this Levite had left his Levitical city and moved to Bethlehem and Judah could indicate that things weren't going well in the ministry down at the tabernacle. It could be that God's people had stopped supporting the tabernacle and the ministry 
of the tabernacle with their tithes and offerings as God had commanded them to do. <gasps> you mean God's people would literally do that? Are you kidding me, Pastor? I'm not preaching to anybody sitting on any pew in our church. I wanted to say that up front. But in the 36 years I've been in ministry, yes, I have literally had people who were mad at me or didn't like me. And since they were only one vote in a congregation, they couldn't vote me out. So they would try to starve me out. You mean God's people would do that? Yes, I've had them withhold their giving just because they wanted me to go broke and move on. They didn't know they had a pastor who serves God and not man and that God is my source and not man. But you see, when people, when people grow indifferent to the things of God, one of the first signs of their spiritual indifference, their spiritual apathy is their decline in giving to the work of the Lord. And I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. So instead of starving to death in the Levitical city, old Jonathan here, young Jonathan, decided to leave and go to Judah and see if maybe he could find a job to support himself and to make a living, as we say, even if it meant abandoning his God-ordained place of ministry, and even if it meant giving up the very calling of God on his life. You see, the ministry of the Levites was ordained by God. They were, they were called to be servants of God. It was God who had instituted the family, and it was God who had instituted the priests and Levites as spiritual leaders among his people to serve God in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Just as it is God who instituted the church and who instituted evangelists, apostles, pastors, and teachers to be spiritual leaders and to serve God in the church today. Are you with me? The Levites assisted the priests with their ministry when people would bring their sacrifices, and the Levites were also to teach the people the law of God. So that means this young Levite knew the law of God was being violated. And they were also worship leaders. They, they helped lead God's people in worship as well. But because uh, the spiritual condition of God's people was at an all-time low, and since they were neglecting the ministry at the tabernacle, Jonathan the Levite, the spiritual leader, compromised his calling, and he began to look out for self. Now, I know what I'm about to preach, I'm preaching to Myself, I'm preaching to pastors, I'm preaching to ministers, I'm also preaching to spiritual leaders in any church. But this Levite failed to appreciate the high calling of God on his life. As one chosen by God to hold high the spiritual banner of the people of God and, be, and, and he compromised his commitment to God's calling and he sold himself out to become what I call a professional Levite 
what Jesus called a hireling. Serving not by the will of God, but serving at the will of man. He became what the Bible calls a hireling instead of a shepherd. He became what I also refer to these days as a professional minister who has a career in ministry. Giving up his true calling as a servant of the Most High God, he found himself a comfortable job in the home of Micah as a professional priest for hire in the shrine that Micah had there. He certainly was not teaching Micah the law of God or leading Micah and his family in worship to the one of the one true living God whose name they were invoking. But it sure was a good job because it paid well and was a comfortable living. But he no longer worked for God. He no longer served God. He worked for Micah. And he served Micah's idols. And in doing so, he was no longer the spokesman for God, but instead he simply told people what they wanted to hear. In fact, in chapter 18, when the Danites come, they actually hear this Levite and they recognize he's not from around here. And they go, who are you? He says, I'm a Levite. And they said, well, what are you doing here? Good question. He said, well, I got a job. Micah hired me to be his priest. And the Danites ask him, well, can you inquire of the Lord for us? See, we're going to attack these innocent people to kill them because we don't like the land God gave us. And, and here's what this priest for hire said. Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. Hmm. He told people what they want to hear. And in fact, in the next chapter in verse nine, when he was offered a new job, a new pastorate, if you will, with more people making more money and more prestige, he jumped at the opportunity because these same Danites said, hey, why don't you come with us? It's better that you be a priest to a whole clan, a whole tribe than one man. And he said, let me grab my idols. And he went with them. We live in a consumer-driven society with market-driven churches and professional ministers for pastors. They are hirelings that are more interested in appealing to their market base, scratching their itching ears, saying what they want to hear, worshiping what appears to be ministry successes of numbers, buildings, and money. We have too many professional ministers with polished appearances, plying their talents in front of churches that act more like fan clubs than people of God in houses of worship. Woo, hallelujah. And like this Levite, all too often these hirelings call what's happening in their ministry blessings of God when it is nothing more than a shrine of idolatry in the name of our God. Understand something. When the church 
has a hireling for a pastor and not a true shepherd of the flock, that church cannot experience the true blessings of God. And, and let me just tell you something about your pastor, and there was nothing that happened in our church that inspired me to say this. It's just simply that God's been burdening my heart with this message. I have never considered myself to be the best pastor, to be honest. I am my own worst critic. But one thing I know is that I am not, I have never been, and I never will be a hireling. I have said this to bosses. I have said this to deacons over the years. I've said this to people who thought differently. I have often said, no man owns me. I am called by God to this holy and sacred office that I hold, not by my own choosing and not because of my own righteousness. I did not choose this life for myself. I argued with God and told him he chose the wrong person. He did not listen. And I am not your pastor because you hired me. I am your pastor because God sent me. I refuse to be a hireling, saying what people want to hear because of the itching desires of their ears. But I will, to the very best of my knowledge and ability, teach and preach the sacred word of God with all the authority given to me by God who called me and not in the authority or favor of men. If, if the church of this nation grows complacent and even apathetic to the things of God, my prayer is that I may ever find my strength in the Lord to serve at his good pleasure and for his holy purpose, for it is God who called me to this position in life and not man, and may I never lose the appreciation for my high calling May God help me to remain a true shepherd of the flock because as a shepherd, I do not see what I do as a career. True shepherds do not run off to a better job when the opportunity comes. You, you think there's no place else I could go to make more money? True shepherds don't do that. True shepherds will go where God sends them, stay where God puts them, be faithful to what God called them to do there, and only leave when God calls them away from there. And that's what we need in the church today. More than ever before, the church of this nation needs pastors who are willing to stand up and proclaim the unadulterated, authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God and call sin, sin, and let the people just decide whether they want to believe and obey. I didn't mean to preach that right there. Meaning it wasn't in my notes. Let me quickly finish by talking about the nation. This is the message God burdened on my heart a few weeks ago. In, in, I was going to read chapter 18. Can I paraphrase it? Look at the opening. In those days, Israel had no king. 
And in those days, the tribe of Dan, the Danites, was seeking a place for their own where they might settle because they had not come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five warriors from Zorah and Eshtol to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all their clans. They told them, go explore the land. The men entered the hill country of Ephraim and uh-oh, it says they came to the house of Micah where they spent the night. If I count correctly, I count probably three or four times in this chapter where it says they came to the house of Micah. And when they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They said, well, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He said, well, Micah hired me. I got a job as a priest here. And they're like, no. Yeah. Well, inquire of the Lord. Because, see, we're going to spy out a land of helpless people so we can attack them and take their land because we don't like the land that God gave us. In fact, the Bible tells us that, I'm not even going to look at my notes. I'm going to paraphrase. The Bible tells us that when they parceled out the land to the various tribes, see, God put each tribe exactly where he wanted them. Through Joshua and a couple of his helpers, the priest. And the Bible says that Dan was not able to drive out the enemy from the land they were given by God. I don't know. I don't, Dan wasn't a real big tribe, but God can help you do what you need to do. My guess is they were lazy, or maybe it just turned out to be more difficult than they planned. In fact, the Bible says they had difficulty driving out the people. Has God ever asked you to do something that's difficult? He did me when he called me to pastor. It's been difficult. And so since it was difficult, they started looking for an easier place to settle. He tells them what they want to hear. Go in peace. God is blessing you on your journey. They came to a town called Laish in verse 7. And it tells us that they were far away from anybody who could help them. They had no relationship with anyone else. And the Bible says they were an unsuspect they were a peaceful and unsuspecting people in verse 27. They were a peaceful and unsuspecting people. So they went back and reported to the tribe and then 600 men from the clan of Dan in verse 11 armed for battle came down to attack, and the Bible says in verse 13, they came to the house of Micah. And those five spies said to the army, they said, hey, did you know there's a house here with an ephod? An ephod was something the priest would use to inquire of God to get guidance for the people. And, and they said, well, let's go, let's go in and, and see this guy, this Levite. And verse 15, so they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place. They, it just over and over, it says, and they went to Micah's house. Verse 18, when they went to Micah's house, they offered the priest a new job. Come and, come and be with us. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and a clan in Israel as priests rather than just one man's household? And the priest was glad. 
more people, more prestige, and more money, which drives so many ministers these days. I remember one of the first jobs I was ever offered in the ministry. I met with the senior pastor. He was interviewing me to be his associate and youth pastor. And as we were talking, one of the things he said to me was, I don't have a lot of money to offer you. And me being young and stupid, <laughs> I said, hold on. You need to know my heart. If God calls me to your church, it doesn't matter if you pay me anything or not. I go where God sends me. Now that was probably actually wise, but from a business venture, it was stupid. <laughs> because he didn't pay me very much. <laughs> these people, these Danites, go down and attack these people and, and murder them. And they were a peaceful and unsuspecting people. And the Danites settled there. They named it Dan. And the Bible says that they set up for themselves the idols and it says, look at the last verse, they continued to use the idols Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. It was all because of the compromise of the house of Micah that led to the falling away of a nation. And as we celebrate this great nation and our independence as a nation, let us not assume that we are indeed one nation under God simply because we invoke his name. Just because we've been a land of plenty with amber waves of grain, let us not assume that God is still blessing us when we walk contrary to his ways and live by standards that promote wickedness, we must not assume that God's favor just continues to rest upon us when we willingly choose to abandon his word and his ways and his will for what seems to be an easier path in life. As the home goes, as goes the home, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the nation. The home, the compromise of family, the church, the compromise of ministry, and the nation becomes an idolatrous nation who still thinks God is with them and blessing them. I hope I have conveyed from my heart what God laid on my heart a few weeks ago. I hope I've done it in a way that you, you get what I got. I'm simply saying we must guard against the compromise of the house of Micah or this nation will be in big, big trouble. 
like never before, we have to we have to accept this as authoritative. This is the word of God inspired by God. It is his revelation of himself and his ways to his creation, mankind. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what God said. We can either accept that or we can reject that. As goes the home, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the nation. I will, till the breath leaves my body, I'll do the best I can as your pastor or wherever God sends me to teach and preach this word of God as it is not as I want it to be. But you have to have a heart that receives it as it is and not as you want it to be. Because if you don't, you become one of those that the Bible talks about who has itching ears. And you won't like pastors like me, but you will heap to yourself many who say what you want to hear, God is calling us away from compromise. And honestly, I, I say again, nothing happened in our church that made me, that inspired me to say that, preach this. It's just a message that the Lord laid on my heart a few weeks ago about the home, the church, and the nation. I love, I love my home. I love this church. I love our nation. Let's stand together. Stand with me. And let's, let's make a fresh commitment to God that we will uphold God's word and live by his standards and be his servants. Amen. And by the way, pray for me, your pastor, that I will never think of this as a job or a career, but it is always a calling. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning for all of those, not only in this building, but through our program that are standing in faith with us. And today we lift up the families of this nation to you. I pray that you move in our families, in our homes again. I pray that you get a hold of the hearts of moms and dads and open their eyes to your word and your ways and help them to convey it to their children and their children's children. It starts in the home. I pray God for your church in this nation. I pray that you will give us pastors who are called, not, not men and women looking for careers or jobs or great paychecks, but people who feel the calling of God on their lives, who are, who are bold enough emboldened by your spirit to speak what saith the Lord and not what people want to hear. Give us pastors who are true shepherds and not hirelings. And I pray God for this great nation, the United States of America. I pray that you will remind us once again that this, this was founded 
by you. It was your guidance. It was your hand. Our forefathers sought your guidance. And this was a Christian nation. And God let us never be deceived by lies that it was anything other than that. I pray against those who would try to distort or even erase our history. Because God, our history leads exactly straight back to you. And I pray that this great nation will turn as a whole corporately, our, our government leaders from the top down or the bottom up, I pray that they will turn their hearts to you and that this nation would continue to be one nation under God indivisible and I thank you Lord for your presence we felt in this place I pray a blessing over your people now go with us lead us use us for your kingdom's sake and it is in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen